The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. To celebrate the 4th of July this year, I thought I'd read a famous story known as George Washington's Vision. The vision describes a prophecy Washington supposedly received from a cosmic angel at Valley Forge during the Revolutionary War. The story did not get published until 1861, just before the Civil War, by a writer named Charles Wesley Alexander. And Alexander said the story had been told to him by a 99-year-old veteran who had served with Washington in the Revolution. Many historians call George Washington's vision a work of fiction because they have been unable to find evidence for that 99-year-old Civil War veteran. Meanwhile, psychic mediums who channel St. Germain tell us the story is true. But verifiable or not, listeners to this show know full well that such visions are not only possible, but common in such ominous conditions as Washington faced at Valley Forge. So long story short... I thought I'd read Washington's vision for this 4th of July, followed by how I think the vision affected the content of Washington's farewell address when he retired from the presidency. The vision prophesizes threats to our democracy under circumstances we find ourselves living through today. So here's how Alexander began what he called a transcription of the 99-year-old soldier's story. You doubtless heard the story of Washington's going to the thicket to pray in secret for aid and comfort from God, the interposition of whose divine providence brought us safely through the darkest days of tribulation. One day, I remember it well, when the chilly winds whistled through the leafless trees, though the sky was cloudless and the sun shone brightly, he remained in his quarters nearly all the afternoon alone. When he came out, I noticed that his face was a shade paler than usual. There seemed to be something on his mind of more than ordinary importance. Returning just after dusk, he dispatched an orderly to his quarters who was presently in attendance. And after a preliminary conversation of about an hour, Washington, gazing upon his companion with that strange look of dignity which he alone commanded, related the event that occurred that day. And here begins George Washington's vision. This afternoon, as I was sitting at this table engaged in preparing a dispatch, something seemed to disturb me. Looking up, I beheld standing opposite me a singularly beautiful female. So astonished was I, for I had given strict orders not to be disturbed, that it was some moments before I found language to inquire the cause of her presence. A second a third, and even a fourth time did I repeat my question, but received no answer from my mysterious visitor except a slight raising of her eyes. By this time I felt strange sensations spreading through me. I I would have risen, but the riveted gaze of the being before me rendered volition impossible. I essayed once more to address her, but my tongue had become useless, as though it had become paralyzed. A new influence, mysterious, potent, irresistible, took possession of me. All I could do was to gaze steadily, vacantly, at my unknown visitor, and gradually the surrounding atmosphere seemed 
as if it had become fulfilled, filled with sensations and luminous. Everything about me seemed to rarefy, the mysterious visitor herself becoming more airy and yet more distinct to my sight than before. I now began to feel as one dying, or rather to experience the sensations which I have sometimes imagined accompany disillusion. I did not think, I did not reason, I did not move. All were alike impossible. I was only conscious of gazing fixedly, vacantly, at my companion. Presently I heard a voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. While at the same time my visitor extended her arm eastwardly, I now beheld a heavy white vapor at some distance rising fold upon fold. This gradually dissipated, and I looked upon a stranger scene. Before me lay spread out on one vast plain all the countries of the world, Europe, Asia, Africa, and America. I saw rolling and tossing between Europe and America the billows of the Atlantic, and between Asia and America lay the Pacific. Son of the Republic, said the same mysterious voice as before, look and learn. At that moment I beheld a dark, shadowy being, like an angel, standing, or rather floating, in midair between Europe and America. Dipping water out of the ocean in the hollow of each hand, he sprinkled some upon America with his right hand, while with his left hand he cast some on Europe. Immediately a cloud raised from these countries and joined in mid-ocean, and for a while it remained stationary and then moved slowly westward until it enveloped America in its murky folds. Sharp flashes of lightning gleamed through it at intervals, and I heard the smothered groans and cries of the American people. A second time the angel dipped water from the ocean and sprinkled it out as before. The dark cloud was then drawn back to the ocean in whose heaving billows it sank from view. A third time I heard the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. I cast my eyes upon America and beheld villages and towns and cities springing up one after another until the whole land from the Atlantic to the Pacific was dotted with them. Again, I heard the mysterious voice say, Son of the Republic, the end of the century cometh. Look and learn. At this, the dark, shadowy angel turned his face southward, and from Africa I saw an ill-omened specter approach our land. It flitted slowly over every town and city of the latter. The inhabitants presently set themselves in battle array against each other. As I continued looking, I saw a bright angel on whose brow rested a crown of light, on which was traced the word Union, bearing the American flag which he placed between the divided nation and said, Remember, ye are brethren. Instantly the inhabitants, casting from them their weapons, became friends once more, and united around the national standard. And again I heard the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. At this the dark, shadowy angel placed a trumpet to his mouth and blew three distinct blasts, <clears throat> and taking water from the ocean he sprinkled it upon Europe, Asia, and Africa. Then my eyes beheld a fearful scene. From each of these countries arose thick black clouds that were soon joined into one. Throughout this mass there gleamed a dark red light by which I saw hordes of armed men who, moving with the cloud, marched by land and sailed by sea to America. 
Our country was enveloped in this volume of cloud, and I saw these vast armies devastate the whole country and burn the villages, towns, and cities that I beheld springing up. As my ears listened to the thundering of the cannon, clashing of sword, and the shouts and cries of millions in mortal combat, I heard again the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. And when the voice had ceased, the dark, shadowy angel placed his trumpet once more to his mouth and blew a long and fearful blast. Instantly a light as of a thousand suns shone down from above me and pierced and broke into fragments the dark cloud which enveloped America. At the same moment the angel upon whose head still shone the word Union and who bore our national flag in one hand and a sword in the other, descended from the heavens attended by legions of white spirits. These immediately joined the inhabitants of America, who I perceived were well-nigh overcome, but who immediately, taking courage again, closed up their broken ranks and renewed the battle. Again, amid the fearful noise of the conflict, I heard the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. As the voice ceased, the shadowy angel for the last time dipped water from the ocean and sprinkled it upon America. Instantly the dark cloud rolled back, together with the armies it had brought, leaving the inhabitants of the land victorious. And then once more I beheld the villages, towns, and cities springing up where I had seen them before, while the bright angel, planting the azure standard he had brought in the midst of them, cried with a loud voice, while the stars remain and the heavens send down dew upon the earth, so long shall the union last. And taking from his brow the crown on which blazoned the word union, he placed it upon the standard, while the people kneeling down said, Amen. The scene instantly began to fade and dissolve, and I at last saw nothing but the rising, curling vapor I first beheld. This also disappearing, I found myself once more gazing upon the mysterious visitor who, in the same voice I had heard before, said, Son of the Republic, what you have seen is thus interpreted. Three great perils will come upon the Republic. The most fearful is the third, but in this greatest conflict the whole world, united, shall not prevail against her. Let every child of the Republic learn to live for his God, his land, and the Union. And with these words the vision vanished, and I started from my seat and felt that I had seen a vision wherein had been shown to me the birth, progress, and destiny of the United States. And that's where George Washington's vision ends. So let's do a countdown on the angelic warnings revealed in Washington's vision in light of the history since then. Bear in mind that these warnings are all about wars fought on U.S. soil and would not include the world wars fought in Europe and the Pacific, wars pitting democracy against dictators in Germany, Italy, and Japan. The first war shown by the angel could have been the Revolutionary War itself, where George Washington fought for the idea of democracy as opposed to the rule of authoritarian monarchy to establish a revolutionary governmental change that strove to better reflect the Lord's Prayer plea, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The outcome of that war for democracy at the time Washington's troops were at Valley Forge was far from certain. 
The angel's next warning of a war on American soil could have been about the War of 1812, when the British returned to fight for monarchy again, and once again, democracy won. The angel's next warning describes the Civil War triggered over the issue of slaves from Africa. The quote reads, And from Africa I saw an ill-omened specter approach our land. It flitted slowly over every town and city of the latter. The inhabitants presently set themselves in battle array against each other. As I continued, I saw a bright angel on whose brow rested a crown of light on which was traced the word Union, bearing the American flag which he placed between the divided nation and said, Remember, ye are brethren. Now we come to a final angel-predicted war on American soil, a war which has not yet taken place and should not take place. This war, according to the vision, would involve invasions from other countries, and such invasions could easily be triggered if Americans fall to fighting with one another as we did in our first civil war. In a second American civil war, other countries are bound to take sides. The vision states, throughout this mass there gleamed a dark red light by which I saw hordes of armed men who, moving with a cloud, marched by land and sailed by sea to America. Our country was enveloped in this volume of cloud, and I saw these vast armies devastate the whole country and burn the villages, towns, and cities that I had beheld springing up. As my ears listened to the thundering of the cannon, clashing of sword, and the shouts and cries of millions in mortal combat, I heard again the mysterious voice saying, Son of the Republic, look and learn. So at this time of extreme political division, July 2021, it seems time to look and learn once again. There is talk of another civil war in this country, with even some government officials who swore an oath to the Constitution calling for armed insurrection in our country. In his farewell speech of 1796, George Washington himself warned of this terrible possibility. Washington was popular enough as our first president that he could have declared himself king. Yet he was too moral to seize power and too hopeful for the American vision of democracy for the people envisioned in the Constitution. So he resisted all temptations to seize authoritarian control. Now, unlike Washington's vision, there is no doubt at all about the authenticity of Washington's farewell address from the office of president. And it's interesting to note that much of his farewell address deals with the internal conflicts that the vision describes. But Washington knew that prophecies of war can be proven false by the resolve of people with goodwill, along with God's blessing of the common man and woman. So let's look at the warnings and guidelines Washington urged in excerpts from that farewell address, guidelines he gave voice to as if in answer to the very vision he'd witnessed. And as we go along, I will interject some thoughts that legions of NDEers, through their own visions, can vouch to as well. So in his farewell address, given on September 19, 1796, George Washington said, The unity of government, which constitutes you one people, is also now dear to you. It is justly so, for it is a main pillar in the edifice of your real independence, the support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, 
of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. It is of infinite moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness, that you should cherish a cordial, habitual, and immovable attachment to it, accustoming yourself to think and speak of it as if as if the palladium of your political safety and prosperity, watching for its preservation with jealous anxiety, discountenancing whatever may suggest even a suspicion that it can in any event be abandoned, and indignantly frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest, or to enfeeble the sacred ties which now link together the various parts. Now let's pause here for a moment to consider what the typical near-death experiencer tells us about the other side, the very nature of the light. It is that we are one, that our souls, collectively, are at one with the source of all creation. And it was with that recognition that inspired George Washington and the other founding fathers to proclaim that all men, meaning all mankind, are created equal and to build a democracy founded on that belief. Washington's address continues. Citizens, by birth or choice of a common country that that country has a right to consecrate and concentrate your affections. The name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have, in a common cause, fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and successes. But these considerations, however powerfully they address themselves to your sensibility, are greatly outweighed by those which apply more immediately to your interest. Here, every portion of our country finds the most commanding motives for careful guarding, preserving the union of the whole. Now, NDEers also report their love for the perfection they find on the other side. And yet, uh, they return. Return to this pale shadow of heaven on earth in the belief that we can do better by expanding our democratic values, that we can mirror heaven here on earth even if that mirror sometimes seems dark indeed. As long as we draw breath, it is our God-given responsibility to strive for that unity, that oneness and freedom that is at the very core of our democracy. Washington's address continues. In this sense, it is that your union ought to be considered as a main prop of your liberty, and that the love of the one ought to endear you to the preservation of the other. These considerations speak a persuasive language to every reflecting and virtuous mind and exhibit the continuance of the Union as a primary object of patriotic desire. Is there a doubt whether a common government can embrace so large a sphere? Let experience solve it. In contemplating the causes which may disturb our Union, it occurs as a matter of serious concern that any ground should have been furnished for characterizing parties, and by that Washington meant political parties, by geographical discriminations, northern and southern, 
Atlantic and Western. Whence designing men may endeavor to excite a belief that there is a real difference of local interests and views. One of the expedients of political party is to acquire influence within particular districts and to misrepresent the opinions and aims of other districts. You cannot shield yourselves too much against the jealousies and heartburnings which spring from these misrepresentations. They tend to render alien to each other those who ought to be bound together by fraternal affection. So what Washington was referring to here in terms of geographical differences such as North against South reflects the U.S. Constitution's initial failure to deal with the economic and racial aspects of slavery. There is no three-fifths man or woman. NDEers know from their encounter with the light that all souls are loved by God, no matter what race, religion, sex, social status, or other differentiation they may have been labeled with on earth. So what's with us and our divisions? They do not come naturally to us, but are planted seeds of evil by forces that seek to divide and conquer us. And if we get divided again, American democracy will be the loser. Washington's address continues. To the efficacy and permanency of your union, uh, government for the whole is indispensable. This government, the offspring of our own choice, uninfluenced and uh, unawed, adapted by upon full investigation and mature deliberation, completely free in its principles in the distribution of its powers, uniting security with energy, and containing within itself a provision for its own amendment, has a just claim to your confidence and your support. Respect for its authority, compliance with its laws, acquiescence in its measures, are duties enjoined by the fundamental maxims of true liberty. The basis of our political systems is the right of the people to make and to alter their constitutions of government, but the constitution which at any time exists till changed by an explicit and authentic act of the whole people, is sacredly obligatory upon us all. The very idea of the power and the right of the people to establish government presupposes the duty of every individual to obey the established government. All obstructions to the execution of the laws, all combinations and associations, under whatever plausible character, with the real designed to direct, control, counteract, or awe the regular deliberation and action of the constituted authorities are destructive to this fundamental principle and of fatal tendency. They serve to organize faction, to give it an artificial and extraordinary force, to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation the will of a party. Here again, Washington means a political party, often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community, and according to the alternate triumphs of different parties, to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and incongruous projects of faction, rather than the organ of constant and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by mutual interests. However, combinations or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends, they are likely in the course of time and things to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people 
and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust domination. The alternative dominion of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge, natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism. The disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual, and sooner or later the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. Without looking forward to an extremity of this kind, which nevertheless ought not to be entirely out of sight, the common and continual mischiefs of the spirit of political party are sufficient to make it the interest and duty of a wise people to discourage and restrain it. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and will of another. And then going further, George Washington speaks of the critical importance of faith and morals. George Washington says, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who could labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician, equally with a pious man, ought to respect and to cherish them. A volume could not trace all their connections with private and public felicity. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for, reputa for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation deserts the oaths which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? And let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion, whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of particular structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. So as Washington stresses the importance of faith and morality in the maintenance of uh, democratic values, well, let's pause here for a moment to consider the reports of NDEers who have experienced distressing, frightening NDEs. They almost always describe the horror as one of separation, from descriptions of being alone in an endless darkness, to being cut off from community, to being in a self-imposed hell of emotional regret. These experiences are relatively few and far between, but they do indeed exist, and they exist to remind us of 
our obligation on earth, uh, and that is to learn to practice compassion, to learn to practice love. These are the values Jesus taught. Washington continued, It is substantially true that virtue or morality is a necessary spring of popular government. The rule indeed extends with more or less force to every species of free government. Who that is a sincere friend to it can look with indifference upon attempts to shake the foundation of the fabric. Promote, then, as an object of primary importance, institutions for the general diffusion of knowledge, in proportion as the structure of a government gives force to public opinion, it is essential that public opinion should be enlightened. Against the insidious wiles of foreign influence, believe me, fellow citizens, the jealousy of a few, pe- a few of a free people, the jealousy of a free people, ought to be constantly awake, since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of Republican government. And here I'll end these excerpts from George Washington's farewell address, delivered on the 19th of September, 1796. They are wise on the subjects of strength and oneness, strength and faith, and sharing and love, and wise as if they'd been written for the ages. And, if motivated by Washington's vision, then of course they were. Abraham Lincoln, embroiled in the Civil War, quoted Jesus when he said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. These days, foreign dictatorships, besides hitting our country with cyber attacks and ransomware, are feeding Americans a steady diet of political lies and racial prejudice through our own social media platforms. They say to themselves, divide and conquer. If we can poison U.S. citizens with lies and turn Americans against one another, then we can conquer and destroy their democracy. But what is democracy but the rational sharing of governance, the agreement to compromise on the difficult issues as we perfect our ability to share power and to care for one another? Nearly all NDEers returning from the other side bring back with them the solution to all our moral and political problems, and that is to love and care for and be compassionate to one another, especially those most in need, regardless of race and religion or cultural differences, and also for us to love and protect the earth. The choice is in our hands to support with truth and love, or destroy with lies, violence, and hatred our fragile democracy. America's experiment in sharing political power with all the people. We call George Washington the father of our country because he set the example. He led us to overthrow an authoritarian monarchy and establish democracy in America. Today, we are the fathers and mothers of the America to come. So on this 4th of July celebration 2021, answer the question for those next generations. Which direction, democracy or dictatorship, will we choose for our children? Well, we are out of time for today. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 400 archived NDE interviews, please go to Talk Zone's NDE Radio uh, and hit the Past Shows button. And subscribe to our 
YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, and listen for free to the complete NDE Radio library. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting wishing you a loving and thoughtful 4th of July. Thanks for listening.